and gentlemen, and thank you for joining the program here. We're going to do episode three of Just Those Wrestling Guys, and today for the program, we are doing Ric Flair. I am joined today by my beautiful co-hosts, Quentin Montgomery and Jordan Montgomery. How are you guys doing today? Quentin, start us off. Hey, man, I'm doing pretty good today. Uh, pretty excited to do Ric Flair. Obviously, the probably the hands-down best wrestler ever, um, and you're pretty knowledgeable on it, so... We'll see what kind of weird ass stories you have to tell. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Jordan, how about you, man? How you doing? Oh, we're good. Um, Rick Flair, man, styling, profiling. He's got the strut. He's got it all, boys. I love it. I love it. Oh yeah, greatest of all time in my book. So we'll we'll let's get started. Quentin, start us out. Um, yeah, so basically Ric Flair was born in a like super weird kind of way, um, but everyone kind of agrees that he was born on February 25th, 1949. Now, if you talk to Ric Flair, he says that it's some kind of black market deal on how he um, was eventually given up for adoption and he went into an orphanage somehow. Um but during that time, that's whenever he got his adopted parents, um, and they quickly moved uh, to Minnesota right when Rick was only just a couple years old. So from there, you have him growing up in the Minneapolis area. Uh, he said that even whenever he was young, his family didn't have a whole, whole lot of money, but every year for his birthday, uh, he always asked to go watch those AWA promotion shows. Um, so even at a young age, kind of like um, me, myself, and Jordan and Kevin and everybody, um, we we always kind of lived for those uh, those moments to where, you know, the family could splurge on a pay-per-view or splurge and take us out to go watch one of the wrestling matches. I mean, it, I mean, at least for me, it was a highlight for you guys. I know Kevin, did we go watch a, a show together? Like a house show, right? Uh, I'm trying to think. I think we did. I think we went and watched a house show once. I think Randy Orton was in the main event. Yeah. I know we watched uh, TNA together, but I couldn't remember if we went and saw a WWE one together. Yeah, you know, um, I know I went to a TNA one when they were doing house shows, but yeah, those are house shows are cool, man. They're definitely a little different than the TV. We've been to both. Yeah, they're so, definitely strange. Jordan, have you seen yeah. any? Have you actually been to any of them? I've actually never been to anything live, um, but I remember wow. going to Grandpa's and him. It didn't matter what day of the week it was if wrestling was on, he was watching it. Uh, kind of that same way when I'd come down and visit you guys when you guys lived in Virginia. It's kind of uh, anytime wrestling was on, we all sat down and watched it together. Yeah, it was definitely a, like a family bonding kind of deal. So, Kevin, like back in that time, back when like Ric Flair was around like 10 to like 1950s, 1960s, what wrestlers were like in the AWA promotion that kind of would have influenced Ric Flair? That would have influenced Ric Flair. Definitely. Uh, Vern Gagne, uh, number one, um, possibly Mad Dog Vashon, Nick Bockwinkle for sure. Uh, the Crusher, uh, Bruiser kind of went down there and teamed with the Crusher. Uh, Sheik started out with, Flair there, uh, 
yeah, those are like your main players. Billy Robinson, he, he stuck around that territory for a while as well. Um, that, that would have been something that Flair would have definitely watched. Uh, AWA was started in 1960 by Vern Gagne. He basically got upset with the NWA because they wouldn't make him champion. So he broke off and said, okay, well, I'm going to give the NWA champion, I believe it was Pat O'Connor at the time, uh, like 30 days to come and defend his belt against me. If not, then uh, I'm going to be the first AWA world champion. So that's kind of how that went. And he started his own promotion. Of course, Pat O'Connor doesn't show. So Ganya by default wins the first AWA world championship, which puts him over as a baby face there, you know, in the territory for the whole time that he's there. Um, AWA was strong in that Midwest market there. Um, I think it ran from like Minnesota and they ran stuff in Wisconsin, the Dakotas, a little bit up into Canada, down through maybe into Kansas city, but Kansas city is kind of its own. Yeah. Own territory in itself. Yeah, the but, AWA was kind of more like the famous ones, just like like NWA, then you had like Jim Crockett promotions, and then obviously, you know, like WCCW. So it was definitely up there with like the top promotions, top territories at the time. Yeah, and even some of those other territories basically uh were NWA affiliates. WCCW was affiliated with the NWA up until I believe like 85, 86. I think it was 86. Yeah. Then they broke off basically for the same reason. But uh yeah, the, the the big players were the NWA, AWA, and the WWWF at that time. So but back to uh old slick Rick here. He he decides that he's gonna want to be a uh pro wrestler, as they say. So he decides that uh with the success of his amateur wrestling in his high school years, he's gonna go be a professional wrestler with Vergania. So he goes and he uh, starts to uh, train with Greg Gagne, Jim Brunzel, the Iron Sheik, and Ken Patera. That's definitely a class of Hall of Famers right there in its own right, you know. So uh, basically, uh, from what I've heard, his first day, he wanted to quit. He wasn't going to come back. And Vern Gagne showed up at his house and said, no, you're coming back. So the reason I've always, well, not always heard, but like um, the reason why he didn't want to come back was at the time Ric Flair was training to be a power lifter. Ric mm-hmm. Flair was all the way up to 300 pounds. So if you can imagine Ric Flair that you see now, um, kind of, you know, your 2006 Ric Flair, I mean, he was maybe like 220, maybe, and he was a little bit, you know, older and overweight at that time. So imagine Ric Flair at 300 pounds out in the, minnesota winters and they said hey go run four miles yeah of course he wanted to quit yeah yeah do 500 squats 200 push-ups 300 sit-ups that's how Ganya ran the territory he was an old school shooter which shooter is a term for basically someone who knows how to wrestle which is why they called the early mma fights back in the day shoot fights which is derived from the term shooter so yeah i mean he trained with he was living with ken patera actually he was an Olympic power lifter. So yeah, he, if you, if you look up just old Ric Flair pictures on the internet, you're going to see a really chunky Ric Flair. Definitely so like the same person, no, not at all. 
Um, so he basically gets trained in the AWA. Uh, I mean, he had some matches with Dusty Rhodes, Andre, Larry Henning, who is Mr. Perfect's dad, and Wahoo McDaniels. Um, from there, he does a little tour in Japan with International Wrestling Enterprise, which is just kind of a little, it was a little Japanese promotion um, that the AWA did stuff with back then. Uh not much to talk about till really he gets into uh, Jim Crocker Promotions. And uh, that's where he's going to spend the bulk of his career at, Jim Crocker Promotions, and uh, which eventually turned into world-class championship wrestling. I mean, world championship wrestling. Excuse me. Yeah, that so, was in um, 1974 whenever he made the move out to North Carolina. Um, had some memorable matches. He was definitely getting the notoriety and notoriety that he, um, he deserves. That's whenever he really started to get to be a superstar in the area. Uh, but then just over a year later is whenever Ric Flair gets into a plane very, crash. very terrible, substantial plane mm-hmm. crash. Yeah, that plane crash um, broke his back in three places. And at the time, uh, just to give you uh, kind of an age, he was 26. Um, they told him he'd never be able to wrestle again. So if you think back, Think back to what would have been if Ric Flair would have never tried to wrestle again, if he would have stopped at 26. What kind of how the course of wrestling would have changed so much? You wouldn't have had the four horsemen, you wouldn't have had he wouldn't have been a 16 time world champ. Uh, it's just one of them things to think about. Like, this guy loved wrestling once he actually got into it. He had a 40-year career that completely revolutionized the business. It was definitely um, definitely nothing to, for a wrestling fan, definitely nothing that is not substantial. Everything that Ric Flair did in his entire career um, was of great magnitude, and everything that he did helped the, career, the business. Um, maybe some personal stuff, no. Uh, that's coming up recently, but everything that he did in wrestling itself. Um, just kind of, I agree with what you said, Quinn, but just kind of give people the, the outlook on what he, on how bad he wanted to get to wrestling. He returned to wrestling three months after this plane crash um, in January of 76. Um, it did force him to change the way he wrestled. Uh, he was kind of a, a brawler before, and it turned him into, I think, it turned him into the the nature boy that we know today, where it, it almost kind of reminds me of a little bit of Eddie Guerrero kind of kind of went off of him in any way possible, you know, any way possible to get the win, whether that's lying or cheating or stealing to quote Eddie Guerrero there. But uh, that it kind of come from Ric Flair, in my opinion. Yeah, it was during uh, it was after this time, definitely whenever you were saying uh, that's whenever he decided that he was going to start to style himself after Buddy Rogers, which is the original nature boy. Um, Buddy Rogers used to do the whole same kind of like strut. Uh, it was a very flamboyant wrestler, even for the earlier times, but Ric Flair made it his own and made it more, more, more flamboyant and more over the top and, and more 
uh, styling and profiling. Yeah, definitely. Um, with that being said, um, he definitely changed up his style. If you look at some of the stuff before the plane crash, he's taken uh, more flat back bumps. If you see him ever get thrown off the top rope, he basically turns and lands like on on one of the sides of his back. I can't remember what what side it was. We'll just say the left side from where the plane crash happened. He had to start taking bumps a different way. So, uh, and also there's if you look at him, some sometimes you can see the knot on his back. He used to have a knot on his back that would pop up every once in a while when his back started getting irritated. Um, yeah, he definitely took what Buddy Rogers did in the fifties and sixties, even into the seventies, definitely amped it up a lot. Uh, they eventually would face each other in a match later on in Rogers career. Um, yeah, um, it looks like that was in 78 from what I could see. But he definitely, this was the start of the Nature Boy run where people started taking notice of him um, during that three-year reign after the uh, uh, the plane crash. He had five reigns as NWA United States champion, uh, feuded with Piper, Steamboat, Mr. Wrestling, Snuka, and Valentine, Greg Val- Valentine. Um, so he... Definitely those matches with Steamboat were legendary for the time. Um, they said if you liked their matches in the uh, late 80s, they said the matches in the 70s were even better. But there's no footage of those. They didn't keep tapes back then. Um, so and we'll get to that later. So anyway, moving on. What do you got next, Quentin? Um, I mean, you just have some of those memorable matches like you were saying uh, with Steamboat, Buddy Rogers. Uh, that was... That was basically a loser loses their name match. Uh, they build it and promoted it as uh, the Nature Boy versus the Nature Boy. You know, that's exactly how they did it. Um, during this time, he wins the United States NWA Heavyweight Championship quite a few times, uh, and then I guess the next uh, the next kind of feud that really does come up for Ric Flair is in 1981, whenever he flares with his long time he flares with his long time he feuds with his long time uh kind of model that he had ever since growing up dusty Rhodes, uh for his first nwa world heavyweight championship yeah definitely definitely uh definitely was a good little run he had um there with uh dusty Rhodes. um i think they won that in kansas city if i if i believe correctly his first title he won there in the kill auditorium was that uh, uh that's the uh that's the match that like you always see dusty busted open and they're fighting in a cage right that is starcade in 85 i believe ah uh, shit yeah yeah that's 85 83. no that's no, harley yeah, that's probably. harley race that he did that with um this early run i know wasn't very memorable for his first title run. Um, they, he basically said that, you know, that he had the belt, but they didn't really do anything with him. So um, he also said that 
I believe it was around this time that Jim Crockett basically was starting to take over too as the sole proprietor for the NWA heavyweight championship belt, which basically means in the territory system, they had one world heavyweight champion and the different promoters would basically argue and fight over wanting their top guy to be the world heavyweight champion, because that would basically mean that whoever's was the champion is going to bring more money to that territory. You following me? Yeah. So, so, I mean, Crockett basically monopolized it after Flair won it. I mean, some people had it here and there from other territories, but a- after this point, it's going to basically just be Jim Crockett using that as a booking, booking people out, which is what you know I was why? saying. Sorry, go ahead. Go. Well, this is what I was saying, what happened with uh, WCCW they pulled out because Jim Crockett and them basically didn't allow anyone else to be champion other unless your name was Flair or Rhodes at that time or Harley race. So, and they all worked in the Carolinas, you know what I mean? Yeah. This is like, I mean, you have uh, Ric Flair as a 16 time champion, but this during these like what 81 to 86, he probably wins and loses those championships like 10 times. Uh, and it's a lot of like back and forth, you know, three day title reigns and four day title reigns. There's um, a title reign in what is it? Where in Puerto Rico, it was uh, Carlos Carlos Colon. Um, yeah. He actually pins Ric Flair for the championship, but because they were in Puerto Rico, um, Flair recovered the championship belt in like a phantom change. So the NWA never even recognized the heavyweight championship change. It's never on the record books. Carlos Colon and that match with Flair never happened. Now, now they did. Here's the funny thing with that. They did sanction those later. Like if you go and look now on like, let's say like the NWA's website, they'll, they'll recognize Carlos Colon now as an NWA champion. But Flair said the reason why they did that, the finish of the match was basically going to be Carlos Colon is supposed to lose. But he said going over to Puerto Rico, he said the crowds were so violent and so hot and thought wrestling was so real that he said, if I beat Carlos Colon, I'm afraid that there's going to be a riot and they're going to kill me. He said he would come out and they were throwing acid on him, batteries, rocks, squirting Drano in his eyes trying to and stuff. So he said, Go on and pin me, and we'll figure this out later. And they did this in Japan too. He, I, th- I think, he did that in Japan a couple of times as well. Well, and and because it, the wrestling business back then wasn't what it is now. You basically, for Jim Crockett promotion, they had their little region in the Carolinas, Virginia, West Virginia, Georgia, around that area, and that's all that that that's all the wrestling you saw unless you're on a mountain on the edge of the territory and you could pick up something else, but wrestling wasn't viewed outside that geographical region. Yeah. You know what I mean? So when Flair went to Japan, you didn't get, you didn't get those matches. It isn't like getting on the internet now and you're able to see it. So no one even knew that those title changes happened. He just, when he came back, he was still the champion. Yeah. Yeah, for so, sure. Yeah. So that, that's why they don't recognize those title changes. So he's actually, when everyone says Flair's a 16 time world heavyweight champion, he's more like a 25 to 28 time world heavyweight champion <laughs> because of that. 
So, yeah. Jordan, Jordan, you got anything to add? Oh, just kind of going off of after that Carlos Colon um, incident, uh, we mentioned it earlier. He had that uh, cage match in, what did we say, 85 that was. that. That's the big one that, like Clinton said, you can really see uh, on online or whatever where Dusty Rhodes is all split open. And um, he, I guess I'm kind of jumping the gun here, but uh, Flair won, according to what I've read, he was the NWA world champion eight more times. Um, he had numerous feuds with Rhodes and Harley Race. Um, he fought David Von Erich um, in Texas. Flair was pinned by Kerry Von Erich, but regained the title in 18 days in Japan and reigned for another two years. Um, I don't know much about this time. This is something Kevin would be more about. I'm just kind of going off what I've read. The um, um, so what you were just saying the uh, about the Von Erichs, um, that was like a super big show at the time. Um, so Ric Flair came in, I I for very very cheap or little to no money into the David Von Erich Memorial Parade of Champions. So what they did was they basically just went to like like a university stadium or something like that. They went to a big stadium. They rented it out. David Von Erich had just died um, like a year or two prior to it. And because of this, they wanted it to be such a big pop in Texas where the Von Erichs were so big. Um that they let Carrie Von Eric win the title off of Ric Flair as um, basic. I don't want to say sympathy, but basically it was that he won the title out, 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 out of sympathy because he lost it 18 days later. Yeah. And he lost that title over in Japan too. Yeah. So, and the most shocking part was he won with the backslide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They, yeah. They, I mean, uh, Flair, Flair was doing that always, but they always knew that, you know, I mean, they always had Ric Flair, you know what I mean? So he could lose the, the belt, and because he was so good, he, he, I mean, he really didn't need to be the champion, you know, to to do anything, but yeah, it's at this that, point in his that career. Just kind of comes, that kind of comes with the persona that Ric Flair had, like Kevin just said. He didn't have to have the championship for people to want to watch him. I mean, it's kind of like, and I know Kevin says he hates modern day wrestling and stuff, but it's kind of like anytime John Cena's there. I mean, nowadays people are going to tune in because John Cena's there. You can go back to when the rock, the rocks there stone cold people are like that. The undertaker, they don't have to have the championship to, have people tune in. They're going to have people tune in just to see those, those guys wrestle. Yeah. It takes a long time, but eventually this is when Ric Flair starts to become an attraction. Yeah, definitely. And you got to think too, back in the day as well, um, the NWA world's heavyweight champion was a touring champion. 
which means whoever had that belt went to all the different territories and defended that belt. So one day he's going to be in Texas. The next day he's going to be in Minnesota. He could be down in San Antonio the next day, which is a separate territory. Amarillo is a separate ter- territory. Portland, San Francisco, Kansas, you know, it goes on and on. Uh, Tennessee had two or three different territories that wanted the NWA champion. So all these little territories are vying to have the champion come in two weeks out of the year, you know, to have him, have him face the top guy, make the top guy look good. This is part of what, why Ric Flair is Ric Flair is because he would come into these territories, maybe wrestle the territory's top guy who probably has no business being in a wrestling ring, you know, but Hey, he's the draw there, you know, and who gives a flux Mississippi and, you know, he's, able to put him over. So that's, that's kind of what Ric Flair did. And uh, to be that champion, it took someone special. That's why Kerry Von Erich only had the belt for 18 days because the NWA board of directors couldn't trust him to make his, make his shots. You know what I mean? So it, it took a special person. And I think Flair was the only one that ever really enjoyed doing it. So everyone else gave it up voluntarily after four or five years of being the champion, he's the only one that was a big enough sucker, I guess, to say I'll still be the champion. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, during this time is uh, we're, we're talking about, you know, he's the traveling champion. He's going to all these different promotions. Um, that's whenever he starts to uh, form an alliance with the Andersons. Um, so in that touring with the champ, with uh, with the belt and everything, he starts. He starts to align himself in tag team matches with Arn Anderson and Ole Anderson. Um, actually, during this time, Ole and um, that's, that's Ole, 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 bud, Ole, whatever. I don't care. Um, so Ole sounds stupid. Ole Anderson. Um, he uh, he claims that Rick and him are cousins. Somehow, somehow they look just alike. So I don't really see how, how, how you would even need to say that. Um, and during that time, you know, uh, they start to have some matches with Tully Blanchard. Um, and they really start to form as um, a heel. And they definitely consolidate that whenever all four of them uh, team up and beat down Dusty Rhodes uh, with a baseball bat in like a parking lot. It's broadcasted everywhere everybody's eating it up and at this time the four horsemen as they're being called now as rick flair called them uh the four horsemen are the biggest heels the biggest villains whatever you want to call them uh in wrestling yeah definitely uh yeah the horsemen that's good stuff they uh they broke uh i think they they broke dusty's leg in a cage match too and Arn Anderson tells a story that uh, when they did that, uh, basically there was about 3,000 people that rushed towards the cage and they said they were getting ready to leave. And those 3,000 people said, no, you're not. He said it took them like an hour and a half to get to the back because <laughs> they had to get, they basically had to get the police in there to break up the crowd Grandpa and let them out. The crowd. It was a bunch of grandpas thinking that shit yeah. was real, huh? Yeah. Trying to fight Arn Anderson. <laughs> Dustin needs me. <laughs> you can't do that. He's a working man. Yeah, he's a plumber. You can't do that, man. I never knew 265 pounds of blue-eyed soul captivated that world like I have. 
<laughs> God, he's great. I would have probably fought for old, uh, for my boy too. <laughs> <laughs> Dusty Rhodes needs us. You don't hurt Dusty like that. It felt funky like a monkey. <laughs> Man, he's great. I've watched a lot of his stuff recently. <laughs> Not going to lie. So, I mean, I guess during this time, uh, you keep moving forward to, I don't know, like Ric Flair's like 45th time he lost the belt. Um, In 1988, he has a feud with Sting over the the NWA World Heavyweight Championship at Clash of Champions. Um, That feud goes on for a while. Then you start to pick up some more of the same feuds that were going on in the seventies, like Kevin was talking about um, that went on in 1989 with steamboat with Ricky steamboat. But at this time, nobody had watched those feuds back in the day. So nobody, nobody had ever known that they had ever feuded. So it was basically like a brand new thing 12 years later. Yeah. And uh, like I, like I was saying earlier, Flair being able to go into different territories and making people Sting Sting was pretty green at the time when they wrestled at clash of champions. Uh, they ran this to uh, go up against, I believe WrestleMania four. If I got my date, right. I believe so. Yeah. WrestleMania four um, free ever, you know, if not free advertisement, but free wrestling, you know, so that was a big deal. It, it was a big, a big draw. So, so Flair took it upon himself to make Sting, and he and he sure did. Um, so Sting was only in the business like two or three years. Yeah. So I mean, he didn't by even... that point, so I mean, he didn't really. He, I mean, he didn't really know what was going on still, um, and carried him to a forty-five minute time limit draw. And then, like you said, going into that flo- uh, feud with Ricky Steamboat into '89, where they had a trilogy of matches. Um, Go back and watch those matches on on the cock, everyone. Peacock, um, it, it's definitely worth it. They're they're great matches. It was the feud of the year. Um, each match, uh, pretty darn good. Because um, Steamboat's coming off of WWF TV as well, so I mean it was a big deal, you know, to have a big name come into WCW like that. Two years before that, he just fought Randy Savage at WrestleMania three in what people consider the greatest WrestleMania match of all time. So yeah, it was a big deal for him to be wrestling steamboat again. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely, they had the match of the year in 1989. Um, as per the pro wrestling illustrated, I know we all had those next to our toilets growing up, um, to, to get a little bit of reading in about the champ, buddy. Who's number one on the PW poll. Hi, hey, hey, Quentin. Check this out, Ricky Steamboat, Flair. They're number one. They're number one. <laughs> yeah, man. So it was it was it was rated match of the year in 1989. Uh, that feud kind of went over all the way to um, basically like July 1989. Uh, Flair starts mm-hmm. feuding with Terry Funk, um, which man, if you haven't seen some of Terry Funk's old matches back in like the late the early 90s, late 80s, man, he was. He had a spring to his step back then. It's it's not two thousands. Uh, Terry Funk, you know, out there hurting himself. He he was a good wrestler back in the day, man. Yeah, yeah, he definitely definitely was. I mean, at that point, he's still been around probably forever because he's Terry Funk. But yeah. I mean, <laughs> he's a thirty year veteran in nineteen eighty. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And uh, just to show you all what. 
how much this Ric Flair means to me. Check this boy out over here. I got. I, I, all right. Uh, every, all, all that, people that are listening, what he's doing is grabbing the Great American Dash DVD. No, this is VHS. Oh, VHS. Wow. That's yeah. Amazing. Turner have Classic. Have you ever watched that? No, I'm afraid to put it. I'm afraid. I'm afraid to put it in a, a cassette, not a cassette player, VHS player. What's that worth? Oh, <laughs> uh, it's worth a pretty penny. I got it for fifty cents at, uh, like a little little shop. Uh, so, so but this and one cents. This is part of the dumb stuff that we're going to hear about from Kevin during this episode. Yeah, but but on this, <laughs> but on this, it has. Uh, Rick Flair versus Terry Funk. And what makes it interesting is, is if you see on the cover, it has Rick Flair versus Steamboat on it because they always would mess up their covers. They always did the year before on the year that they shouldn't have. So well, that makes mm. sense because it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. 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 Back in the day, that does make sense. I mean, I guess they could have drew like Rick Flair versus Terry Funk. No, no, they, they could have done it, but I, it was just, just kind of showing you a kind of, Kind of how much he has impacted me, and I'm buying old VHSs for fifty cents and geeking out over them. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, I bought a um, old WrestleMania steel cage challenge uh, from Dollar General once for twenty bucks. Yeah, that's about my dumbest uh, wrestling purchase that I've ever bought. So, whatever, I don't care. I like it. If you like it, then whatever, man. Like, I don't know what you do to the cover, like cover it in latex and like jerk off on it, but that's cool. <laughs> whatever floats your boat, dude. So yeah, anything. Anyways, back to wrestling. Um, so uh, because of the, the feud with Terry Funk and Ric Flair, Terry Funk has a, um, what's it called? Like a click, uh, uh, whatever, a faction. Uh, called the JTEX Corporation. Uh, that's his hardcore Texas, you know, evolution back in 1990. Um, so to combat this, Ric Flair uh, reforms the Four Horsemen with the addition of Sting as their fourth horseman. Did was it because Ole Anderson had like already retired? Right at that point. Um... I believe so. I think they brought in Luger and Wyndham before that. Yeah. Um, stick. Yeah. Neither of them. Wyndham was a good addition, but Ole basically wanted to go watch his son wrestle amateurly. And um, that wasn't going to fly because they needed him to wrestle still. So, yeah. They just went on and replaced Ole, which, I mean, Ole was old at the time. So, oh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you have the addition of what (laughs) Ole Anderson, dude. Ole Anderson, that sounds better. I'll be like, look at that Ole Anderson boy over there. Tell you what, (laughs) yeah, uh, dude, but I don't care. I don't care what you guys say. I'll rant again. (laughs) I hate you all, yeah. So, he basically, uh, through this period, through the uh, 90s. Beginning of the 90s, he's basically the flag bearer for WCW. Um, he's going over to Japan, defending the title over there. Um, not, you know, he drops it a couple times, doesn't drop it a couple times. Um, 
it's kind of like what you're saying, kind of just, he just kind of wins it here or loses it there. But whenever they need him, he's always, he's always the man that WCW can basically rely on. And as we get ready to find out here, um, he's going to start get into uh, some disputes with the uh, new WCW president, Jim Hurd over wanting to uh, cut his pace substantially and uh, wanting him to cut his hair and call himself Spartacus. And uh, which Hurd said was basically just in a booking meeting. He said it as a joke, but then it got out and Flair heard it and got pissed off. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know why you would want to do that to Ric Flair, but yeah, I, I guess mean, Flair yeah, obviously I mean, didn't think it was funny. So, yeah, Flair didn't think it was funny, and uh, he was that's not the person that you ever want to change when you have something that's been going over for 20 years. Um, if it's broke, why fix it? Why, why, if it's not broke, yeah. why fix it? You know what I mean? Um, so you definitely you can feel that tension and it causes, uh, what is it? Jim Hurd. And I think it's his name. Yeah. Jim, mm-hmm. Jim Hurd. Yeah. Causes him to actually fire Ric Flair, um, and causes him to vacate the WCW world heavyweight championship. Yeah. And basically from there, um, goes over to the world wrestling federation, WWF brings the title belt with him, calling himself the real world's champion. Um, and, He's led by his financial advisor slash manager, Bobby Heenan. And uh, Mr. Perfect's there as well with him. Um, comes in and basically, you know, he's Ric Flair. So at the uh, 92 Royal Rumble, um, this is a Rumble match to claim uh, the new champion for the Vacant Belt. Flair enters at number three in the last 60 minutes before last in 60 minutes was cool. In Royal Rumble matches, um, and uh, basically wins the belt. So coming in hot. Yeah, he uh, during that time he was still wearing the the big gold uh, World Heavyweight Championship match, and that actually caused WCW to sue Flair in an attempt uh, in an attempt to reclaim the championship belt, but Flair claimed otherwise due to a loophole in the NWA policy. Um, And it's because back in the day, whenever you first became the NWA champion, you had to put down money because the belt was worth so much. And Ric Flair had already put down $25,000, which in effect, um, meaning that the belt is leased to any wrestler and they're kind of, able to do with it what they want. And they had a lot more um, creative control back in the day. Um, and that's kind of how he was able to have, how, how he was able to bring the big gold belt over to WWF. Yeah. Yeah. They <clears throat> back well, for people who, who think that's kind of weird to put down a security deposit on a fake wrestling belt. You're, you're basically carrying a brand, you know, that, that's that's the brand. Um, that's why they did that. So you wouldn't go over, so you wouldn't screw the NWA, you know. Okay, if let's say you dropped the belt and you weren't supposed to, they can say, well, we're keeping our $25,000 because you made us look stupid. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
So that's that's why they would do that for people who don't understand or say, why are they putting down? Why is he all put down twenty five thousand dollars for something that's fake? Well, because it's still a business, buddy. So yeah, that's why they do that. Um, yeah, he comes in, wins the belt, um, starts feuding with uh, Macho Man Randy Savage for the double main event at WrestleMania Eight, which. Didn't really make any sense because at the time the match really make would have been Flair Hogan because you have everything that the NWA represents on in one corner and everything that the WWF represents in another. And for years, everyone in the dirt sheets and the magazines have been speculating on who would win if they actually had a wrestling match. Would it be Hulk Hogan or Ric Flair? So... I mean, that would have been yeah, definitely like, been been that match to make. And I agree with you to a point, but that then it gives you they also the storyline they ran with Randy Savage with uh Flair uh claiming he had an affair with Miss Elizabeth. That just that goes on with what I said earlier on that's the type of character Flair played where he was Stealing everyone's women, he wasn't afraid to bloat about it, and he just he just kept going on and on about it, and that's that kind of it helped WWF at the time because it made people want to see what was Randy Savage going to do to this guy that was having an affair with his wife. Yeah, but yeah, but also, I mean, the match to make was Hogan Flair. I mean, no one. No, and I and I get denies that, that. But what I'm saying is they they did a good job of actually bringing this match to be worth something to watch. It delivered, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think they went out of their way because all Flair had to do was say, "You're fake wrestling. I'm real wrestling," and they'd write itself when yeah, you know. Well, this with Hogan, you being a Flair, you would be Flair's son if you could. This is just you just No, no. <laughs> I have no, a whole Hulk, Hulk Hogan belt behind me. <laughs> I get what you're saying, but at this you can't deny that what they did wasn't an actual decent storyline. I get where you're coming from. That it should have been Flair versus uh Hogan. It should have been. But the way that they came about and did the Randy Savage versus Flair was I think was the right way to do it. The way they did it was the right way to do it because it showed the type of person Flair was in the wrestling world. No, and you're wrong. You're wrong. To find out, come to find out, it's the way he was in the real world too. Well, yeah, I mean that's how he was in the real world. I, I'd say it wasn't right for business because. Well, you're I, I know I know somebody who's about six foot eight. 300 pounds that probably said that don't work for me brother so well that's why that's why that flare match didn't happen the way it did which we'll talk about it we'll talk about it later once he gets back into later things so yeah so flare uh defends the uh wwf title later in the year against uh tenaru in wrestling association r uh which is war in japan um which is unusual because you, I mean, WWF didn't really do any tours of Japan back then. Um, especially with war, war would have been a number three promotion over there. Um, but it was probably cheaper to run shows over there 
with war than it was all Japan or New Japan. Um, so he, he does a couple of house shows over there um, with, with war. Um, later in the year, um, uh, Flair's second reign ended when he, uh, he loses the belt to uh, Bret Hart at a house show in 92, which um, they, I believe they taped that one as well. Cause there's, there's video of that on Peacock of Bret Hart winning that match. Yeah. I think so cool. yeah, I've seen it. I think Hart breaks his finger in that match too. So yeah. Cause Mr. Perfect makes a face when he sees the thing, when he sees the finger broke. So yeah, I mean, uh, then later in the year, he loses a, Loser leaves town match to Mr. Perfect to get Perfect back in the ring and kind of kickstart that going. And he, he ends up going back to WCW uh, once uh, Bill Watts is the president and he's back back in WCW again in 93. Makes his triumphantly, triumphant return as a baby face, a hero, a savior. Um and unfortunately, because of his no compete compete clause, um, he was initially unable to rest wrestle. Um, but he always uh, came on the show, and he always had a bit. He didn't have to compete, uh, but he did have um, a little show, kind of like Piper's Pit and stuff like that. Um, can't remember what, like Talk is Jericho and stuff uh, called a flare for the gold. Um, yeah yeah which was what um he names that after that because um 10 years prior um he called his basically chasing of harley race for the title in 83 a flare for the gold um so it's an homage to what he did 10 years prior um at this time he's also talking about retirement as well leading up to starcade 93 uh match he's gonna have with vader um an interesting fact too on those vignettes of flair for the gold the cleaning maid is i believe her name's phoebe who ends up being his wife who's his current wife right now so never know who you're going to meet hell yeah love is love yeah love love is a strong thing man what love got to do got to do got to do with it got to do with rick <laughs> got to do Rick. He's been married like 17 times, almost as many world championship runs as marriages, everyone. That's true. Impressive. <laughs> yeah, so uh so um basically Flair comes back uh and uh defeats Barry Windham at Beach Blast. And uh the WCW uh leaves the NWA in September of '93. Uh, Flair lost the title, now rebranded WCW International World Heavyweight Championship to Rick Rude. And um, Rude end, ends up losing that belt. And at Starcade 93, Flair defeats Vader to win the WCW Championship title for a second time that year. Um, yeah, he, he basically just the same stuff we've been talking about before. I mean, Flair is pretty solid throughout this run. Um, he's winning the title, dropping it. He's their mainstay for WCW, which is why they wanted him back so much, which, you know, it was a big deal when he left because WCW's ratings, attendance, money that they were drawing at the gate just tanked after he left. Um, I remember big, that, like, uh, uh, what did what what did they say? Like whenever he actually did decide to come back, um, they were so, they were so eager 
um, and forgetful of everything that he did. Like literally they had, they had sued him like three years ago for having the title. And then they were like, uh, yeah, we're kind of in the shitter. Please help. <laughs> Open yeah. Up. Oh yeah. So there's gotta be some kind of, um, uh, what is it behind the curtain politics that, that go along with it. Um, and whenever he, he, uh, defeated Vader to win that, that, that title for the second time, um, he started to have, what do you, what, what, what do you guess? Another rivalry with with Ricky Steamboat, man, has another rivalry in the seventies, the eighties and the nineties, this time in 94, um, has a couple real good matches. Um, what was it? He had like a 60 minute double pin, no contest, uh, match with him. Um, so that for the title, so it didn't get to change hands and then he defeated him kind of to end that feud, um, on WCW Saturday night. Um, so, I mean, it was cool. Um, I guess at this point, WCW is kind of still worried that people are going to get, um, what is it like? Grow sour basically on Ric Flair. Um, so they're really, they're really trying hard to, uh, figure out what to do with them. Yeah. They just kind of teeter top that belt with them a lot throughout, throughout this early nineties run. Also in 94, uh, what happens is, um, Hulk Hogan comes in as well. They begin feuding in 94. He ends up, uh, losing the title to Hulk Hogan in a steel cage retirement match at Halloween Havoc. Retirement. Man. So, yeah. Who retired? Flair. <laughs> which which lasted only a few months. I, I'm sorry, I misspoke. He doesn't lose the title match in that steel cage. He loses the title match at Bash at the Beach, which ends up being their biggest buy rate ever yeah. up to that point. And then he goes on to lose the uh, steel cage retirement match, which, like I said, only lasts a couple of months because they were never going to retire. Flair. Um, Bischoff basically has said in interviews and on his podcast that I listened to the other day about this topic said that, you know, um, it was just promotional just to give it a little bit more spice since Hogan had the belt. They needed basically another stipulation to add on. They they wanted Flair to go away for a year, Bischoff said, but Flair just wasn't going to have that. So, I mean, after a couple of months, he was ready to go and he came back right. and, uh, you know, well, yeah, he came back and um, kind of a part-time manager for Vader, still kind of doing stuff here and there, and uh, just kind of got back, back into the swing of things. Um, I guess the next big thing he does is work with Macho Man Randy Savage at Slambury 95. Um, no, no, you got to talk about the... Uh... You got to talk about the unification of the WCW uh, championships, man. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that was a that was a pretty important match with Sting. I mean, yeah, but no, because that WCW at, at this time it's a lot of history and stuff to go into that. I can explain it all if you want me to. Um, I mean, I just really wanted to be to to, to the title that you see now. You know the. The one that WCW carried around all the time during like its NWA NWO days and stuff like that. 
Yeah, it's the big gold gold belt. belt. That's the one that WCW decides to run with with the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. That's the one that gets all the credibility. That's all. Yeah, basically what had happened was they had... they, they started operating as two separate entities, the NWA and WCW, but WCW still would license out the NWA championship. So they basically had two world heavyweight championships of the same caliber, you know, on the TV shows. So they like Barry Windham. I know like at one point, Barry Windham was the NWA world heavyweight champion and like Rick Rude was the WCW International World Heavyweight Champion. It was it made so, it very confusing. It was very confusing. That's why I said I can go into it all. But eventually, WCW pulled out of the NWA and had to make their own championship, which turned out to be the Big Gold Belt, which in years previously had been recognized as the NWA Championship Belt. So, yeah, very, confusing. Very, very weird. Confusing. But yeah, going, moving on into um, 95, Flair wrestled Antonio Noki over in North Korea, Pongyang, in front of 190,000 uh, spectators that were forced there against their will. Um, <laughs> uh, I watched one of the videos and uh, uh, they said they, it, it's the biggest show that they've ever wrestled in front of, like everyone that went over there. Um, you have what I'm trying to think of exactly who you had over there. I know that Ric Flair went, um, psych, 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 what's that? Uh, Scorpio, two cold Scorpio, Hawk, Jim, uh, Norton went over there. Uh, bunch of different other Chris Benoit. It was Jim, it was Jim Norton who said, uh, they were out there wrestling in front of the biggest uh the biggest fans the biggest fan capacity that they've ever wrestled in front of ever in the world and he would look out into the north korean spaces and they didn't know what the fuck was going on because no. they were all forced to be there by the dictator they were like you will go so he was like yeah it was the biggest show we ever did but nobody knew what was happening <laughs> it really wasn't a very uh very good show until rick flair's match with uh anoko actually happens and that's just because anoko was so uh Anoki, 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 um, was such a big draw that anybody that anybody in North Korea knew who he was, and they they North Koreans didn't know anybody else besides him. So yeah, fighting a piece of paper, and they probably still would have been like, "Oh my god!" Or, yeah, they and Muhammad Ali was over there too. So, so uh, Flair basically. Not to go down that rabbit hole of that North Korea trip. If you want more information on that, people look up the dark side of the ring episode on North Korea. Fantastic. Um, it's it's a it's a good little good little documentary on that. And there's different documentaries on YouTube too. If you can't find that, just search it. Um, Collision in Korea. So yeah, throughout this time. Um, or, or, and not much really is going on with Flair, to be quite honest with you. He's not the made man that he used to be. He's getting up there in age. He's in his mid-40s. Um, we're just going to kind of jump through the next, like, six years, three years, something like that. Well, three to six years. Because, honestly, nothing really – the company wasn't revolved around Flair. It was more around the NWA, uh, NWO, uh, Hogan, 
uh, Hall, Nash, you know, and the different WWE people that were coming over, Piper and Sting being the crow. So, I mean, he was basically a background character. He did win, like, the U.S. Heavyweight Championship, um, feuding with the NWO with it's a part of the horsemen. Um, but that's about it. I mean, nothing really, he wins another championship, but it's pretty much meaningless at this point. Um, this WCW's business is in the, uh, crapper. In the so, shitter. Yeah. So we'll just go till, uh, fast forward till he returns to the WWF and WCW buys, out w uh cw so he becomes like on screen character uh a co-owner of the company um this is basically around this time would have been when we started watching them as kids this this run in the wwe uh you would have been like four i would have been six and jordan how old would you have been uh in 2001 like uh, eight, yeah, eight or something like that. So, so impressionable. Yeah, yeah, really impressionable. Really, um, just old enough to know how to beat the shit out of your brother. Yeah, and go. Shh, don't tell mom. Don't tell mom. Quit crying. Swear to God, I swear to God, I'll let you hit me. <laughs> yeah, hit me back. Hit me back. I don't care. Where do you want? It? Where do you want it? Don't, don't stop crying. <laughs> yeah, stop crying. Uh, yeah, I mean, like uh, at the time. Um, I mean, he's basically brung in to help get the younger talent over, you know, um, having matches with like Brock Lesnar, Eddie Guerrero, Rob Van Dam, uh, and, you know, and uh, feuding against Triple H, you know, and everything. Uh, we'll get into the meat of this run with Evolution. Um, definitely a top tier faction in my book. What do you all think? Uh, number uh... – it, the Four Horsemen and Evolution are the top factions to ever come through the WWE, WWF. And Ric Flair was a part of both of them. So, if that tells yeah. you. Yeah. I mean, as far as me watching, growing up and stuff, they're the really the only faction that really stuck in my mind that actually, you know, me, cur- me actually watching that uh, – I can remember that was stayed together for a long time that actually just dominated everybody. Yeah, it wasn't. I mean, he, I mean, like the brood. No, sorry, WWE.com. The brood. Yeah, sucked. yeah, the brood um, sucked. Then Nexus. No, not, not, not the not only, I mean, the only, only faction you can put up there with them in, in modern day would be the Shield. Oh, and yeah. they're not, and they weren't even that great. They no. weren't as great as Evolution. No, I, I put like I put like the Freebirds above them for okay, what they. Okay, that's for what they did. For what they did. <laughs> I mean, Michael Hayes and Terry Gordy and stuff. I mean, yeah, I put them up above them. But uh, nope. yeah, as far as factions go, um, we might have to do an episode on factions. That might be our next one we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as like their impact of everything, I mean, there for a while, you know, Batista and Flair were the tag team champions and, uh, you know, the Raw tag team champions. And that's kind of where I knew Ric Flair. I, th- I always thought he was like a tag team wrestler. 
yeah. more growing up, you know, at first, I, I mean, I didn't know anything about them when you're I mean, everybody, 10, 10 everybody years old. in that faction is going to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just, and I'm not saying that there isn't Hall of Fame factions, but they're all in the Hall of Fame, not for what, just what they did in that faction, but individual accomplishments as well. Yeah, I mean, we could look at Flair being in the Hall of Fame, the WWE Hall of Fame, which doesn't hold that much clout with me, but anymore. Um, I mean, he could be in the Hall of Fame as Ric Flair, part of the Horseman, which he is, and part of Evolution, you know? Oh, yeah. Which I think he eventually will be. I think they oh, yeah. They kind of the last uh, the last straw was the Triple H versus Batista at the uh, WrestleMania a few years ago. I think that was the last little thing they did with that faction, and last thing they're gonna do with that faction. I think they yeah, they're just waiting they, on Randy to retire. Wait yeah, they, they kind of they kind of did that. I think just to put an end to it, and then they so they can get um, nominated for the Hall of Fame. Yeah, definitely, and, and Flair is a big part of what Triple H basically wanted. Uh, done with evolution. If you go back and watch the Ruthless Aggression documentary, he said he would see Ric Flair over in the corner and no one's really paying attention to him. And he's like, you know, I mean, that's it's Ric Flair. You know what I mean? Like he's a yeah. shell of himself, but he said he knows he can still contribute to the business, contribute to the younger talents getting over. Yeah, Vince and, McMahon and didn't even, Vince McMahon didn't want to put, he didn't even want him to wrestle. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't even want Ric Flair to be in it. It was it was Triple H who came to McMahon and said, "You know, I want Rick in it." Well, yeah, he said we need to have a faction. You know, yeah. So you basically they got to pick who they wanted in it. You know, so they. I mean, Ric Flair. He said at, at the beginning either. I can't remember who they wanted. I think. Um, they wanted uh, Chris Canyon. Uh, no, not Chris Canyon. Started with a J. What was his name? Oh, you all made me uh, forget it. Oh, but no. I'll look it up quick. Yeah, I can't remember what was it. Was it that dude who uh, who always Jindrak? Jindrak. Jindrak. Yeah. Jindrak. Yep. Mark Jindrak was going to be it. Well, he was Randy Orton's friend. So, what you see in the Ruthless Question documentary, which basically what happened was Batista was in that original slot, he got hurt. And then they said, well, we could possibly do something with Jindrak, but he's too childish. So no, they actually, so they actually did their, like, uh, what their walkout video with Jindrak. They had it all lined up, ready to go. And then Batista come back. And like you said, he just, he didn't fit. He did. He wasn't a fit. Triple H couldn't stand him because of how childish he was. Yeah, him and Flair did not did not like him. So yeah, they uh, basically Flair helped pick out the talent, and I mean he they lived the wrestling business there for a couple of years, showing Batista and Orton the ropes. Um, like I said, Batista was a tag team champion with Flair, and and Orton would I think him Orton and uh, Batista. Did a three-on-two match, handicap match with The Rock and Mick Foley at WrestleMania 20, um, which is a great WrestleMania. Everyone should go watch it. It's my favorite. Um, yeah, so, I mean, Flair is definitely getting over the younger talents in, during this era. Wrestling, 
um, Triple H at Taboo Tuesday, and uh, later on, towards the end of Evolution's run, like you said, in 2005. So, yeah, they they had a good run for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, def- definitely. And we'll, we'll get into the, talking to them maybe in a later episode. But um, later on, I mean, like, he just kind of does, like, nostalgia stuff. I know he does – I know at some point later on here, he does a tag team with Rowdy Piper where they win the the championships, you know. Um, I mean, he's basically just doing a farewell tour. He's doing a, uh, he's doing a Kobe Bryant farewell tour, you know, final, final season, final year, final leg of his, uh, of his, um, his career. And I think he kind of knows it. I think all the fans kind of know it and everyone's just trying to enjoy Ric Flair. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, um, like I said, they, they win those, those tag team titles and as survivor series Flair was the sole survivor in 2006 in a match that featured himself, Ron Simmons, Dusty Rhodes and Sergeant Slaughter. So some of the older guys kind of getting some work in there. Um, I guess we could just move on because it's basically just the same stuff. Him working with younger talent, um, like MVP, uh, you know, Chavo Guerrero, stuff like that. Um, basically, at this point, he decides that you know he's going to retire at WrestleMania 24. Yeah, um, and the storyline he decides this. Um, in in the background now the storyline that wwe is going with is basically every week um rick flair is coming to the ring saying you know i will never retire i will never retire um and it makes vince mcmahon i i think the storyline was um like basically okay well the next match that you you lose that like if you lose a match you're retired like that's your retirement loss. And yeah. Ric Flair basically went out there for a couple weeks, a lot of weeks, um, and won all of those matches. And that gets us to the storyline of WrestleMania 24, whenever he wrestles Shawn Michaels. Yeah. And um, definitely a very good match, you know, Um was voted match of the year by the PWI, which is pro wrestling illustrated, as he said before. Um, yeah, definitely worth watching. If, if you like kind of like an emotional, uh, match to watch, um, Michaels says that, you know, I love you before he kicks Ric Flair's head off into the 10th row, um, and pens them. And that's that, you know, Ric Flair has to retire in quotation marks retire which is um this is what what's another like weird kind of background with uh this this match uh it's 2008 wrestlemania 24 but also in 2008 what happens at the same time around wrestlemania you have like your hall of hall of fame inductees um rick flair is actually getting inducted into the 2008 hall of fame by triple h but he's wrestling on the 2008 WrestleMania 24 card in a retirement match against Shawn Michaels. So I'm not saying that it was foreshadowing or no one saw it coming, but 
We saw it coming. We all we all we all knew that Shawn Michaels uh and Ric Flair were close, and we all knew that Shawn Michaels was going to send him into retirement, basically. It's the best person uh to wrestle at WrestleMania. Uh, he was still one of the best performers at the time, Shawn Michaels, and it, it just made sense and it made for a great match, a great story, a great heartfelt send-off. Yeah, and kind of funny about his uh Hall of Fame speech. If you go and like go and watch it, make sure you got some time because it's like an hour and 30 minutes long. <laughs> Triple H had to come out like three times and tell him like to hurry up, which Triple H said was like the most embarrassing thing he's ever done. Yeah. in his life because he's like it's rick flair like you don't tell rick flair to hurry up his retirement speech yeah right you know so well i mean and at the time they were showing those i think on like usa or something so i mean he basically took up like the whole time <laughs> yeah i mean fair enough it's rick flair who cares <laughs> yeah so you have rick flair retired um at this time uh, he kind of does some part-time appearances with WWE, um, still kind of making, uh, staying face, kind of keeping that, that, that baby face role as the older veteran. Um, I don't know if he actually wrestles any matches. I think he just makes like cameo appearances, um, until his eventual release, um in 2009 and he starts to do some stuff with some other independent um and other promotions yeah um he signed with ring of honor right after that um just kind of basically as an ambassador for them to get recognition um nothing really nothing memorable at all in that run um he does return to the ring in 2009 as a heel on the Hulkamania Let the Battle Begin tour in Australia. Uh, he loses to Hulk Hogan. And if you ever see the pictures with like Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair bleeding and they're old as crap and they're out in the middle of like a crowd or something, this is what this is that match that uh, you always see that picture come Keep from. 100, Rick. Yeah, always bleeding. Um, um, also, all right, after this, he goes into his dreadful TNA run where he comes out of retirement and wrestles. Um, uh, not, it was memorable. It was, yeah. Good have never done. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty bad. Really, the only highlight from this is Jay Lethal imitating him on the ramp and then <laughs> wooing each other back and forth and dropping elbows. That's whenever he used that's in TNA is whenever he started dropping elbows on his freaking yeah. uh, on his own jacket and shit all the time. He's a psychopath. <laughs> it was awesome. I loved it. Yeah. He, he, to, his own, to his own blazer. He calls a, uh, in that one he calls, he's like, I can sleep with any woman in this arena, even you, the fat ones and pointing to a woman <laughs> in the front gives her a hip thrust. He's just going crazy. So, brother. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. God, pin me up against the wall of an airplane, Ricky. Oh, <laughs> I know, right? Dark do me, side. do me. I'm next. Hit me in my dark side. Uh, yeah, I mean, like at this after that, I mean, he, I mean, after 2012, he's not, he's not wrestling or anything after that. Um, 
they're not going to allow him to because because uh, he's old he, as fuck. Well, I mean, and, and around that time, that's when Jerry Lawler has his heart attack live on Raw. Um, so the WWE basically is like, yeah, if you're older than like 50, we're not letting you in our ring anymore. Um, yeah, I mean, after that, he returns to WWE just basically as like, as a spokesperson, you know, um, doesn't really do too much. Um, he comes in, manages Charlotte, his daughter. Um, he gets inducted in the Hall of Fame for the second time in 2012 for the Four Horsemen. Yeah, yeah, he does. Um, I mean, like I said, uh, uh, Evolution reunites as well. Yeah. Yeah, you, know, you my, see a couple of things, but he never he never has a match anymore, which is good. I mean, all of his great stuff is in 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 um in the rear view. In the rear view, which is good. I mean, about the only wrestling or uh, involved in matches. I mean, he he's the dirtiest player in the game, so he does some little like sneaky shots for Charlotte Flair every now and then. Um, but I mean that 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 takes you all the way up to, to 2021. I mean it takes you up to just a couple months ago to where um, he asked for his release from WWE, uh, citing characters character differences or something like that. Um, which like Vince McMahon is like, hey, that's cool, like whatever, like we don't we don't need you here. <laughs> yeah, I mean he does do a like a pre-show match, I guess, for like, who's going to be the next, I think this was a couple years ago. I remember it. Cause I was told dad, I was like, we don't want to watch the Royal rumble pre-show. Nothing ever happens on that. And uh, he comes out and wins like the, who's going to be the Colonel for KFC. They where they all dress up as the Colonel for KFC and have a Royal rumble match. He comes out and throws like the Miz or and someone out of the ring and wins that match. So I guess that's technically his last match he's ever wrestled. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he, he goes to triple a, which is with his soon to be son-in-law, uh, Andrade, Andrade, Andrade. with, uh, uh, he's, he's at ringside with him for his match against Kenny Omega goes yeah, to the NWA. His no compete clause, no compete clause and never, all that kind of shit too. Well, he's in the end. Yeah, probably. I mean, he, he does show up for the NWA 73. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, up to this point, I mean, he's always remembered for his woo, you know, and uh, 2001 Space Odyssey, you know, theme song that he would come out to starting at Starcade uh, 83. Uh, yeah, I mean, a, a long career, a, a very good career. Um, but no matter what has been happening here lately in the news, as far as his sexual stuff that's been happening, uh, I think a lot of that stuff gets overblown with cancel culture and stuff now that seems like everybody's getting accused of sexual harassment nowadays. So if it's legitimate, then it's legitimate and it should be taken um, accordingly. Uh, Right now, nothing's been proven. I mean, he doesn't have a record or anything like that. Um, a felony charge, misdemeanor, what what, what have you. So, innocent until proven guilty. Still number one, motherfuckers. Uh, yes. Yeah, so maybe, like, maybe in like six months. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe not. But still number one for now. 
Yeah. Right now, you ought to say it, number one. <laughs> so Bill Reek. Bill Reek. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, uh, it seems like if you're famous, you're going to get slapped with one of those, you know, charges or accusations anymore. So, yeah. So, like you said, innocent till proven guilty. Uh, if something ha- pops up, then we'll adjust accordingly. So, yeah. Uh, right now, uh, just keep on living out. Rick Flair, he's a uh, he's a pop icon right now, uh, appearing in like all kinds of rap videos. Yeah, that Rick Flair drip dog. Um, yeah, right now he's just living living the good life, man. He's married to old Fifi. Um, hell. He's had like six, six near-death experiences. He may die tomorrow, but in my heart, Ric Flair will always live on, buddy. Yeah, I mean, um, greatest of all time. So all right, that basically want to do a synchronized woo. Are we counting that down? Yeah, we could do like one, two, three. Woo! Woo! Oh, sorry. I thought we were doing that. <laughs> Technical difficulties. Uh, I turned it off because Kevin was actually going to do it. And uh, yeah, I guess he still did it. <laughs> I thought we were doing it. My bad. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, he had a good career. Um, you love him. You love the man. You love what he did inside the ring. But as for his entire career, that's that's it. That's it for right now. Um, we'll see see what happens for the future. Hopefully, he lives many, many, many more years, and we get a lot more time with old Rick Flair. Hopefully, oh, he goes to AEW. Slick Rick. See what happens. See what happens. Maybe him and Ole Anderson can go do something. Whatever, dude. All right, guys. Well, that's it for uh, that's it for this week's episode, or this month's episode, or this episode of uh, Just Those Wrestling Guys. Look us up on Facebook at uh, under Just Those Wrestling Guys, and on uh, Twitter at JTWG316. Um, and check us out. Give us a like and a follow, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, we were on all the uh, cool, trendy stuff that the kids listen to. Apple Pod, Spotify, Anchor. Hit us up. And uh, if you got any questions about anything, hit us up on Facebook as well. I'll be more than happy to answer those questions for you. If you have so, any suggestions, shoot them at us. We got nothing. Yeah, yeah definitely. We're, we're an open book, ready to be written. So as for now, I'm Kevin. And... Um, my uh, co-hosts Quentin and Jordan uh, tell the people goodbye alright see you everybody have a good night yes sir uh, talk to you